Well, last week we began looking at a particular prayer in Paul's letter to the Colossians. So we're in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 14. Last week we looked at just like the first five words of this prayer, which, and we learned that Paul prays. And I kind of confessed that I believed that God was using this season and my time in this letter to drive me deeper into prayer and to make me a man of prayer, a pastor who could look at you and say, I have never stopped praying for you. And I wondered if he might be doing the same thing in your life and in the life of our congregation, driving us to be people who pray deeper, who can say to one another, our spouse, our children, our loved ones, our friends, our city, our world, say, I've never stopped praying for you. And so last week we learned that Paul prayed. This week we're going to look at what he prayed. What was the content of his prayer? And so I'll be reading verses 9 through 14 again. This is God's word. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Paul is just known for his kind of Christian word vomit prayers. I mean, this is dense stuff. Like every word is a new Christian-y word, and there are about a billion of them. And this is a long run-on sentence. So this prayer runs from verse 9 in my Greek New Testament all the way to verse 20 without punctuation. He's just going for it. And so we just, to understand what he's saying, I think you just have to go one step at a time. And so that's what I hope to do this morning. Um, At the heart of this prayer is Paul's desire that the church would be filled. Filled. It's there in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled. And that word filled can uh, be used for a vessel, like an empty cup that you would fill with water. It is also often used of ships that would be completely filled with cargo before they're ready to go on a voyage. I like that metaphor, so that's the one we're going to roll with. I want us to envision our lives like so many ships on the sea of life. And Paul is praying that our minds would be filled with the supplies that we need for the journey. 
Now listen to that. Not just that we would be full, completely full of supplies, but they would be what we need. How many of you know that you can be full, but it's not what you need? If you've ever gone on a trip and you're packing up the minivan or the SUV, you can pack it full and then sometimes there's still bags on the ground and you need to repack it and you find that now it's full, but then you get to your destination and you realize this was full, but we missed something really essential. How could you have that much stuff and still not have what you need. Paul doesn't want us to be out on the seas of life in that situation. He wants us to be filled with what is necessary, and so he continues. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, there's a number of ways that the scriptures talk about God's will. There's God's stated will, his clear directions for our life, what he, the stuff that he tells us to do. And then there's the stuff that he just desires for our wife, life, like the, what I desire for my children, the desires of his heart. And then there's what theology nerds call his secret will or his decrees, the things that are mysterious, that he has planned, that will eventually come to pass. And then there's how we typically think of God's will which is not how the Bible thinks about it, but it's his private plan for our lives. So should I take that job? Should I date that guy or that gal? That type of thing. Paul isn't referring to any of those. As the letter goes on, he gives us insight into the kind of knowledge that he's referring to. And so later in verse 10, he's going to call it a knowledge of God himself. And then later in chapter 2, verse 2, he says that I want you to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And later on, he'll say the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The knowledge of God's will is the knowledge of God's will for you in what he has accomplished for you in Christ. We might say it like this, the knowledge of all that Christ has done for us. A knowledge of who God is and what he has accomplished for us in Jesus. A mind saturated, filled with that knowledge. It's very similar to what Paul prays for uh, when, he, when he prays for the Ephesians church in Ephesians chapter 3. And I just want you to listen hard for the echoes here. He prays that Christ may dwell, live in your hearts through faith so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend, to know, to know what? What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled 
to all the fullness of God. You hear the echoes. To be filled with the knowledge of God's will for you in Christ. The length, the breadth, the height, the depth, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so what's interesting is how many times Paul uses the word filled in the book of Colossians and the word knowledge. It seems that the false teachers that he's kind of writing this letter against were using those words against the believers. Yes, you have Jesus, but there's another kind of secret knowledge that you need to know to be filled. And what Paul is saying is no. Christ is enough to fill you up to all the fullness of God. You don't need anything else. Why is this the knowledge that we need? And he goes on, because it makes us wise. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That this is the knowledge that manifests itself in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now the words wisdom and understanding, those are couplets that are used all the time in the scriptures, often in the book of Proverbs. And wisdom is just the idea of being able to see with discernment. You might think of it as the ability to be able to understand not only what is true and what's not true, but what matters and what doesn't. What will matter in the end and what won't. Understanding is the ability to actually apply that to your life and live it out. So what he's talking about is skillful living that comes from this particular kind of knowledge. The prayer then... Okay, so we've opened up the back of the SUV. And what are we filling it with with for our journey? We're filling it with a knowledge of God's love for us. His plan and purpose for us in Christ. And we're doing that so that we can begin to see our life, our circumstances, our identity, our moment, all through the lens of what Christ has done for us. And we're doing that so we would be able to understand the difference between what matters and what doesn't so that we can be wise and skillful so that we can reach our ultimate destination. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And so when you pack down the minivan and you even have the Thule on top and it's full of stuff. And you're, you're going somewhere, you're going to Estes Park. Well, when Paul is packing up your life and your heart and your mind full of the knowledge of the will of God, you're headed somewhere. And that somewhere is a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, to walk is just a metaphor for living. It's just the metaphor of life as a journey again. Putting one foot, don't you know that life is a journey? You put one foot in front of the other, hopefully going in the right direction, the direction of a life worthy of the Lord. Worthy of the Lord. A life where someone would be able to see you 
in all of your frailty, all of your mess, all of your imperfections, but still be able to experience something of the worth of God. We all know that a person can live in a way that slanders God. Christians do that all the time. It breaks our heart. The opposite can happen. A person can live a kind of life that shows the worth of God. It's like when people see that, that you've lost weight and they ask, ah, well, how did, you look different. What's the secret? And what they are experiencing in that moment when they ask you that question is the worth of high-intensity interval training. (laughs) But what if they noticed something less superficial? What if they noticed a joy that coincided with sorrow? A deep and abiding thanksgiving? What if they noticed generosity of heart, forgiveness of enemies, a peace that surpasses understanding? What if they saw the worth of God in you? And then adds the line, fully pleasing to him. There's a lot in that little line. One, did you know that you can please God? That God is pleased in you? Sometimes we can talk about God or Jesus, like he is not smiling about the ways that you're serving him. Like he's grunt, like, oh, there was a little bit of obedience. I guess that was all right. Christ is the risen wellspring of joy. And every nervous step you take towards him in obedience, in love, in service, makes him overwhelmingly delighted, fully pleased. It says. And then notice that the life worth living is a life about pleasing someone else and not ourselves. Man, our culture gets that wrong. And we are so grumpy. And we think the answer is to turn it more into ourselves, our own desires, to live for us. And if we do follow Jesus, we usually live as if he lives to please us. When freedom, a life worth living, is living for something bigger than yourself. Man, the old Westminster Divines, I don't always mention the Westminster Divines, but the first question of the Shorter Catechism is a good one. What is the chief end of humanity? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. A life lived for something bigger than ourselves. And so let's put it all together. Paul is praying that these folks hearts and minds would be filled with the knowledge of everything that God has done for them in Jesus. So that they would be able to see their whole life through the lens of that knowledge. So that they can begin to discern what is important and what is not. So that they can begin to live a life worthy of Jesus. A life bigger than their own pleasure. Life's pleasing to him. Glorifying to him. Now there's going to be certain things that naturally flow out of a life like that. Ways that we can test to see if our lives and hearts and minds are packed with the right kind of information and knowledge. And he categorizes four things to be able to test our lives. Whether they're bearing fruit, whether they're increasing in knowledge, 
whether we are being strengthened on the inside and whether we are thankful. I'm shortly going to look at all of those. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, scriptures are always talking about us bearing fruit. So this is the metaphor of us as trees. In Psalm 1, trees planted beside streams of Streams of water that are always bearing fruit. John the Baptist picks this up and says, you should be people who are bearing fruit that keeps with repentance. Jesus always is talking about fruit. He says, you are the vine, I am the branches, abide in me so that you can bear much fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. And later on, Paul will tell us what that fruit looks like. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, the inner fruits of the, the Spirit that express themselves in good works, external actions of blessing. Good works are almost always in the Scripture works done for people in need. It's what Jesus says when he says, let your light shine before men so that they can see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is a way that we can test to see if our lives is filled with the right kind of knowledge. Is this what's flowing out? The fruits of the Spirit? External actions meeting others in needs? For the sake of people around you, pack pack up your U-Haul trailer full of the knowledge of what God has done for you in Christ so that you can live this life fully pleasing to him because of the result of that, the outflow of that is going to be the fruit of the Spirit blessing others. And then he says, increasing in the knowledge of God, which I just think is funny because you're already filled to the knowledge of God. So what does that mean? It's wonderfully circular and weird, but it's how the Christian life works. We are filled with the knowledge of God's love. And the more we live on the basis of that knowledge, and the more we bear fruit, the more apparently we grow in confidence in the knowledge of God. It's a way of saying you never get to the bottom of this knowledge. It's what Paul said in Ephesians when he said, I hope you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Some of us have kind of plateaued. We've stopped increasing in our knowledge of God. It's been a while since we can say we've increased in the knowledge of God. My question for you from this text would be, well, have you stopped living for him? There's only so much that you can learn in a classroom or a devotional time. The context of this increasing knowledge is in the context of bearing fruit and serving others. God doesn't fill up your trailer full of the knowledge of God so that you don't go anywhere. He wants you to take it out on a trip. And on that trip, you learn more about God than you could ever know just in the privacy of your own home or classroom. So being... Bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. We can ask, we can pray for our hearts to increase in the knowledge of God. And then he says this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. 
when he talks about his glorious might, God's glory is what shows up when big things happen in the Old Testament. God's glory shows up in the Exodus. God's glory shows up in the temple when Isaiah is freaked out at the glory of God. The glory of God is what shows up at the Mount of Transfiguration. It is God's empowering presence. So God's empowering presence at work somehow in your inner being to strengthen you for what? That's the question. And now we're, now we're like, oh yeah, strength, power, power. Yes, this is what I've been waiting for. Knowledge, yeah, bearing good fruit, whatever, increasing in knowledge. Power is what we want. Power to overcome, power to... But this is power to endure. Power to have patience. Strength to have joy. Power to endure. And what he's talking about is being able to endure hard circumstances, to hold up in tough situations. This is the same word that's used in Hebrews 12 when it talks about going on a run, a long run, a marathon run, and you, oh, I fit it in there. That's Marathon Sunday. Sometimes when you're running a long race, you hit a wall and you need strength to endure, to make it to the end. And life is like that. And sometimes we hit a wall and we need strength to be able to endure. Not just hard situations, but also hard people. Can I get an amen? And that's what patience mean. Endurance is hard situation. Patience is for hard people. Because the opposite of patience in, in the Greek is revenge. Another way to translate it would be long-suffering. We live in a culture of payback, a vengeful culture. What does it like, look like to bear with one another in love? And you don't need to tell me that in this day and age, with all the different views and opinions and different political persuasions and different positions, that we don't need the glorious power of God's might to enable us to bear with one another in love. But we can ask for it. And it's available to us. And Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would give them patience. Patience that they need for people. Endurance that they need for circumstances. And the strength to be happy in the midst of it all. Because it's hard to be happy when times are hard and people are rough. But we can with the Holy Spirit. We can look at God's purpose when we don't know exactly what's happening in life. And we, can, and we can say, man, this isn't the way I want it. But apparently it's the way he wants it right now. And so I can find joy knowing that my God is with me. And I know where I'm headed. It's power to pray things like, I used to pray, Lord, get me out of this situation. And now I pray, Lord, what do you want me to get out? Of this situation. I find that that's more often what I'm praying. It's the prayer of wisdom. It comes from perspective. It comes from the Spirit. He wants us to be strengthened with power. What kind of power do you usually ask for? It's so different than the power that the world is looking for. How many people do you know that can endure patiently with joy? 
How many people do you know that just fold the minute there's hardship? That give up the minute they, they hit the wall? That just don't stay with things? How many of us know people who just aren't patient with others? They're impatient. They don't get their way and they harass you. They're, because they can't control their circumstances, they want to control you. And they certainly don't have joy in its midst, but how many of us have met a person whom indwells the Holy Spirit and they don't know everything, but they know the love of Christ for them. And they're in the midst of loss and hardship and somehow the Spirit is, somehow their cup keeps getting filled when the circumstances of their life say it should be empty. And with tears and brokenness, there is still joy in their lives. What kind of power do we pray for our kids and our grandkids? What kind of power do we think will save America? Political power? Economic power? Paul prayed in the midst of of an oppressive Roman government, and he's praying that they would have the power to endure, power to have patience, and power to have joy. These are the things that characterize a life filled with the knowledge of Christ's love. One last one, giving thanks. And Paul turns in the last two verses, and we'll look at these on their own because they're filled and packed full themselves with meaning. But he turns back to what Christ has done for us. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How could anyone who knows these things not be thankful He's saying, if your life isn't characterized by joyful thanksgiving, you don't get it, he's saying. Not that you've been qualified, delivered, transferred, redeemed, forgiven. We'll look at that more next time. So this is the prayer. Let's just stop and apply it to our own lives. And I guess I just want us to test our prayers by it. When you pray for people, are these the kinds of things that you typically pray for? We receive prayer requests all the time as a church, and I'm glad we do. I wish we received more of them. Most of them are about people's circumstances, which is right and true. It is good to pray about people's circumstances. But I want you to notice that Paul doesn't anywhere pray for these people's bodily health. He doesn't pray that the false teachers would go away. He doesn't pray about their circumstances at all. He prays about their spiritual life. Spiritual growth in them. He's praying that they would have true treasures. So that when the cancer doesn't go away. They have strength and purpose and joy. So that when the circumstances don't change, they have the resources they need to get by. Are we praying for the deeper realities? 
for ourselves, for our kids, for our world, for our church. And maybe you're just in a position to say, I don't have any of these things. I don't have, my life is full, but I feel discontent. It's filled with worry. It's filled with concern. It's filled with frivolous information. It's filled with entertainment and YouTube videos. It's filled with things that don't bear fruit. It's filled with things that so I get bad news and it freaks me out. Well, the message of the text isn't, well, you need to go fill up with the right stuff. You better get to it. You've done it all wrong. Because everything that happens in the prayer, God does. You're being acted up. So the only thing that you need to do is to begin to empty it out. And say, God, fill me up. Fill me up with the right kind of knowledge. Fill me up with your love. Fill me up with what I need to get to my destination. So I'm going to pray that the Lord would do that now. And gracious Heavenly Father, what a prayer. And I pray it over my life now. I pray it over the hearts and lives of these dear people. I pray that those of us who need to empty our lives of things that we've kind of packed in there that don't serve us in any way would begin to unpack our hearts, our lives, our minds, which is just a a way of saying begin to repent and say, Lord, I've, I've been filling up all the wrong things. I've been filling up with the wrong things. Lord, would you fill me with yourself, with a knowledge of your love, one that helps me become wise, helps me bear fruit, one that helps us bear fruit in every good work, one that helps us live in ever-increasing knowledge of you, a wisdom and a knowledge that allows us to endure hard situations, that allows us to be patient with hard individuals, which allows us to have joy in the midst of it all, not a frivolous happiness, but a settled sense of the Lord's presence with us and an abiding sense of thanks for everything that you've done for us. Would you shape our prayers for ourselves, for our kids, for our lives, for our church, and would you ultimately fill us, Lord? We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.